Welcome back to the DC3 cast. This week we are not only the DC3 cast, we are also the DH3 cast, the Dark Horse 3. We are talking about a crossover between DC Comics and Dark Horse Comics, and we'll get into that in just a second. But first, let me say hello to my co-hosts. We have with us, as always, Vince and Zach. And boys, we're going to be talking about the Starman, Batman, Hellboy crossover. Um... Zach and I were talking a little bit before Vince hopped on about our relationship to this story. Zach had never read it before. Uh, Vince, had you read this story before? Yes. Yes, okay. And I had read it before as well. I read it um, in... I read all of Starman kind of in one big chunk uh, in the publication order. Is that the way you read it as well, Vince? Um, no. No. So you, you read it piecemeal? Yeah. Okay. Did you read this... Like during the, like, did you read this separate from your regular Starman reading, or was this kind yeah. of part of that? Oh yeah. No, I read it complete. It would, I think, if I remember correctly, it's part of like a Hellboy Strange Tales collection or something like that. Oh okay. Um, I that's not the name of it, but that's kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, for those that aren't familiar with this book. It is written by James Robinson, who wrote the entire Starman saga, and it's illustrated by Mike Mignola. Um, Zach, since you're the, the the newest, the freshest set of eyes to this, what did you think of the uh, of the two issue crossover? Um, I thought it was great. I I think the thing that struck me the most about it um, is just how timeless it felt. Um, like this came out in 1999. Is that right? I believe so. Um, and it it felt like a you know 2016 comic to me. Um, it it just felt the the presentation was like very clean. Uh, I mean, not, I mean not that Mignola's style is clean. It's kind of very not you know that's mm-hmm. what he's known for. But it just like the production was so strong on it, and the you know, the only thing that really dated it for me was the Frasier reference in the first <laughs> issue. You know, if, if that hadn't been in there, I, I, there's nothing about this that would have made me feel like this was a comic from almost 20 years ago. So you're not currently chowing down on some tossed salad and scrambled eggs? Actually, my wife watches <laughs> Frasier like as background noise. So, um, it, it's actually still pretty fitting, I guess. It's still very relevant. <laughs> hey, the Joker could be really into reruns. Exactly. He Netflix, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, Vince, rereading it, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, I think I think Zach's right when he says uh, timeless. That's a that's that's a good word for it. I think um, I think it looks as good as anything Mignola usually does, you know, and. Um, I think it was a pretty strong. I mean, a lot of times these these crossover um, concepts are better in concept than they are in execution. Mm-hmm. But I think Robinson tied everything together quite nicely, and um, I think all the characters had the, the right voices. You know, I'm sure I'm sure uh, Mignola himself had uh, a lot to do with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure. Robinson didn't just write Hellboy on his own, you know. Um, but I thought it—I mean, I thought it—it it, it could easily have been either a Hellboy book or a Batman book. 
Or a Starman book. Or a Starman book, I guess. Yeah, it actually very much felt like a Starman book because I feel like Mignola's style um, complements uh, like Tony Harris's early stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, what I really liked about the book, I mean, I, I liked everything about it. Essentially, this, you know, um, Starman is my favorite comic of all time, so that makes me a bit biased towards the story to begin with. But I, I also am a huge, huge fan of Mike Mignola's art, and I think Mignola, he brings something different to a book when he's not the one scripting it. Like one of the things that Hellboy and Hell was so great at was it was Mignola at his most minimal. Like there was nothing extra. There was there was not a brush stroke that wasn't needed in the whole thing. And while I enjoy that, I sometimes like seeing what he does with somebody else's ideas that are certainly more elaborate than his own. If that if that makes sense at all. Mm-hmm. Um and like, you know, you only get to see Mignola draw the Joker so many times in your life. And so having that in there was was pretty great. I think Robinson and Mignola pull off this trick where it doesn't feel like Hellboy is walking into a DC comic, nor does it feel like Batman and Starman are guest starring in an issue of BPRD. It somehow feels like all three of their stories make sense together. And I, I can almost not... I can name very few crossovers that feel as natural as this. Um, certainly more yeah. natural than than the critic appearing on The Simpsons. <laughs> so speaking it of stinks. that... It does stink, yeah. Speaking of that, had there ever... Was this the first instance of like a Hellboy DC crossover? I believe the first and only, yes. Okay. Because I was kind of a little confused by that because when the story starts, Batman and Hellboy are like familiar with each other. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know if that was just a, you know, that was just where the story came from or if there had been something that came before this. No, I believe this is it. Okay. Um, And I think that they handled that pretty well too. Like each character was familiar with the other one, but they didn't know so much. I liked that because it, you know, that I think that's a very like common crossover trope, mm-hmm. um, like an intercompany crossover where the, the characters have to meet each other um, and, and go through all of that. And, and this way, you know, we already know the characters. We don't really need that explanation or exposition. Um, you know, I guess there's a chance that somebody might be picking this up who isn't familiar with Hellboy, but the the... He Robinson does like a really good job of, you know, establishing the characters and getting things going and creating the sense that there's, you know, there are stories that we haven't seen that have happened. Yeah. Um, but you don't need to know that. You right. don't need to know them. And and I like that. There's uh there's one bit of dialogue that Batman says to Hellboy that feels so incredibly silver age to me that it really, you know, you guys both use the word timeless. And I think it's a really, really good indication of that they're in the Batmobile. And first of all, I like that the, the, um, 
the caption says 15 minutes later at 104 miles an hour. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the Batmobile should go 100 miles an hour. That's a nice little touch. But Batman says, my friend Bruce Wayne has planes faster than the ones the Nazis used. And I feel like that sentence could have been in a comic in 1942. Uh-huh. And it would have felt just as natural as it felt here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, Robinson has a really nice job of grounding everything in... It, you know, it, it's sort of a microcosm of what he did at DC right up through when he left, which is that he he treated everything as being on the equal playing field. And I think that's why the Hellboy stuff works so well here is because he doesn't treat Hellboy like an interloper that isn't wanted. He treats Hellboy as just as essential of a character in the story and just as fleshed out of a character in the story as, as Batman or, or Starman is. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked the the fact that, you know, Hellboy was actually kind of like the the centerpiece. He's the, he's like the through line of the two issues because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first one is kind of Batman, Batman, Hellboy team up. And the second one is um, Jack and Hellboy. Mm-hmm. And I liked that, too. Um, that it wasn't just Batman. Uh, you know, there's enough Batman. <laughs> yeah. There is more than enough Batman in a lot of instances. Um, let's talk a little bit about the overall story. So you have Ted Knight, Jack's father, is kidnapped by Nazis. And in the beginning, it's it's unclear whether they are Nazis who are young and, you know, just, just young budding baby Nazis themselves, or if they are, you know, remnants of World War II, but they kidnap Ted Knight because he has knowledge of the power of the stars and they want to harness that energy. It turns out later to to bring forth a Hellcra- uh, uh, Lovecraftian god onto the world. And um, Batman is approached by Hellboy because Hellboy... It, you know, knows more about magic than he does, which is, you know, obviously true. And he, um, he wants to, he wants to help. And then Batman and Hellboy go on this mission to try and save Ted. They fail. And then Batman gets word the Joker is back. And so he has to leave. And then Jack takes over for Batman and Jack and Hellboy go to uh, South America and they eventually spring Ted. That's like, that's, that's the, the most broad way I can describe it. Um, let's, um, is, is there any particular plot point you guys want to get into or? I love the, the Lovecraft stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I feel like Lovecraft is really, it's kind of a thing right now. You know, it's not like, it's not like zombies yet, but I mean, we've had a lot of like Lovecraftian things recently. Like, um, what was the, Brubaker Fatale, uh-huh. um, and I don't, I don't know. I feel like that's more common now, um, but I don't know. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I, I liked how matter of fact they were about. Like mm-hmm. Lovecraft is is Mignola's like biggest influence, right? And and I liked how they were just basically saying like it's not as weird as you think that there's Lovecraftian things on Earth. Like yeah, <laughs> it was it was just really uh, really nicely handled in a very comic booky way. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that a lot. Uh, are either or both of you guys big fans of 
and I, I guess big fan is the wrong word. I think I've, I've, I know very few comic folks who don't like the way Mignola draws. But how how big of a Mignola fan are each of you? Oh, I I I love him. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't read I, as much. Oh, go ahead, Vince. Oh, I I was just gonna say, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that have been influenced by his style. I think you know mm-hmm. uh, since he came around. And uh, you, you see it everywhere these days. And I think there are people that do it uh, cleaner than he does. Well, clean's not the right word, but, but um, you know, Mignola's impressionistic at times, I think. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. Like, a lot, a lot of times his lines are approximating a face, you know, or mm-hmm. approximating a building or something, you know. So there's a lot of people that that get more detailed with that style, and um, and you know the style in general looks nice, but I like the way that Mignola himself kind of leaves out some of the details and lets lets the mind fill them in, you know, mm-hmm. almost. And that that particularly adds to some of the creepier stuff that he does, you know, which I think in in this particular case worked quite well for all the different characters. Um, but I, I, I think there's nobody better than him at the style for those reasons either. Like his, his stuff is very creepy because of what he doesn't show you sometimes, you know? Yeah. And I think that the vagueness of the, of some of the character work makes the crossover feel natural because so many people are in shadows, or like you said, he leaves he leaves details out so your mind fills them in. And so it doesn't quite look like the Batman you're used to, but it looks enough like the Batman you're used to um, to make it feel at home. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Zach, what were you going to say before about Mignola? Oh, I was just going to say, I, I haven't read a ton of Hellboy, um, but Cosmic Odyssey is probably one of my favorite DC stories. I was going to bring that up in a minute. Um, you you want to talk about it? Because well, I'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, so for those that haven't read Cosmic Odyssey, it is um, essentially Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, John Stewart, and there's one more. Team up with the New Gods. Um, it's just far enough away on my shelf that I can't reach it. From where I'm sitting. Um, but anyway, it is it is a story where... Um, oh, Starfire. Did Starfire. You Starfire. Thank you. There we go. Starfire. Uh, it's... So I, I was a little kid when I came out, and I got Cosmic Odyssey number one, and it kind of blew my mind because of the way Mignola drew Superman. It was the first time I had ever seen somebody draw Superman where I knew who they were drawing but it didn't really look like Superman. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, his his style was so his own that I knew he was going for Superman, but it didn't look like the other Superman comics that I had. There's specifically a lot in that first issue where you'll see Superman flying or fighting somebody and everything's in shadow except the S on his chest. And it's like, it's that trick from the old Max Fleischer cartoons where like the, the the chest symbol is illuminated and the rest is in shadow and it was just it was the first time I realized like oh I guess you can draw superman however you want to 
and as a as a comics reader that was a huge deal to me um and i think it's a very interesting cool story i think it's one of the few times that the new gods and the justice league interact and it doesn't um heavily favor one or the other they feel like they're kind of on equal playing ground in the in the comic Mm -hmm. which is kind of fun you also get to see dark side be not a villain yeah which is really interesting and it's the story that kind of sets john stewart on the next 30 years of stories Uh, yeah yeah, and I think that's really I, I don't this is kind of getting we're derailing a little bit away from like the main topic, but what else is new? Yeah. Um it is weird how it's one of those books kind of like um like Killing Joke that you know could have just been like this one-off thing, but it ended up being very influential mm-hmm. uh, to certain characters moving forward. Which I think is really cool. John being one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's where I found Manila for the first time. And then I had a, a casual interest in Hellboy until I started writing for Multiversity. At which point I kind of dove in with, you know, just I just dove in and started reading it all. And now I have the Hellboy Library editions and I'm working on collecting the BPRD Omnibuy. And I just think that... The Mignolaverse is among the best, if not the best, shared universe in all of comics. It's very manageable to read all of it. I mean, there's there's a lot there. There's you know, a couple hundred issues. So that I think that I think that's maybe a good place to go. Um, is maybe talking about getting into Hellboy, like how to get into Hellboy. I mean, I know I, we have that. We have the um, the reading guide on the site. Yes, we have the official check out. The official, done by Mark Tweedale, approved by Scott Alley, uh, reading guide that Mark has put together every year. He's updated it for the last three years, I believe, maybe even four years now, and uh, that is quite good. But I would say with Hellboy, just start at the beginning. Just the first trade is not the best Hellboy, but it's so good that you'll you couldn't believe it gets better than that. Uh, the dialogue's a little bit clunky because Mignola doesn't write the dialogue in the first trade. Uh, John Byrne, I believe, does. That's right. And uh, so it's not... It doesn't feel as perfectly Mignola as the later stuff does, but it's still really good, and it looks so great. Mignola's art style has changed a lot in the 30 years that Hellboy has been a thing. Or 20 years? 20 years? 20 years Hellboy's been a thing. And... Um, but going back to that early Hellboy stuff, it's just so accessible. And you know that's the other, I think, great thing about Hellboy and the BPRD in general. There is a lot there. Granted, there's a lot there. But I could explain everything about Hellboy in three sentences that you need to know. Like, <laughs> Do Hel- it. Like, okay, so Hellboy is the son of a demon. Um, he is a demon himself. It has been prophesied that he will bring hell upon Earth at one point. He is found as a child by Professor Broom of the BPRD, the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense, and he is raised as a boy in the BPRD. He becomes an agent, and the BPRD is essentially the X-Files 
in comic form, they investigate weird paranormal shit. He falls in love with a fire starter, he befriends a gill man, and he eventually <laughs> dies and goes to hell. <laughs> and none of that is spoilers. All of that is, you know, is and, and you find out, with the exception of the dies and goes to hell, everything I just said is established in the first trade. Yeah. And the Bureau, I mean, BPRD, once that got spun off into its own comic, I don't think Hellboy appeared more than like a half a dozen times. Like, it it, be, it became something very much on its own. And Hellboy's been dead for four, years, four or five years now. And BPRD is still going strong. They're actually, this is a great time to catch up on BPRD because they are ending their current, the, there's the last maybe six years or so have been under this banner of Hell on Earth. And Hell on Earth ends at the end of this year. Okay. Uh, with John Arcudi walking off of the BPRD book. He is, uh, having, and John Arcudi is a hell of a writer, and nobody writes better dialogue in all of comics than John Arcudi. So, um, yeah. Have have they announced what's coming next and who's who's taking over? They or? have, well, so Hellboy is found in the late 40s, and they've started doing these miniseries that start in 1952 that fill in, I guess he might have been found in 51, now that I'm saying it out loud, and it fills in like the missing years of his life. So that's still going on, and they're going to be launching a third... Like, The Plague of Frogs is the first BPRD saga. Hell on Earth is the second. They haven't announced what the third one's called yet, but it'll be starting next year. And the the two main writers on it are going to be Chris Roberson and Scott Alley, who is the editor-in-chief of Dark Horse, who writes the Abe Sapien comic, and who's been Mignola's right-hand man for almost 20 years now. Um, He's not... I would say neither Roberson nor... Ali is as good of a writer as Arcudi, and I think that the book is going to suffer without Arcudi, but I think that it's a good place for him to sort of walk away. If that makes sense. It's an end of an era, right? And mm-hmm. he's wrapping up a story that he was involved with from the, from the very beginning. Yeah. And so that makes sense. Um, I think um, I think that's one of, like, Hellboy... Is something I've always wanted to get into, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things I I feel like I, you know, put off because I know it's always going to be there. But yeah. it's kind of, you know a special thing within comics. It's a you know it's a it's a shared universe within itself. You know, a very like self contained universe, guided by essentially you know one visionary and close co conspirators, and you know. There's not re- there are very few things in comics that are, that are like that anymore. I think maybe like the closest thing is maybe like uh, I mean I not on the same scale. I think like Kirkman tried to do similar things with Invincible, but it never really took off. Yeah. Um I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's really comparable to Hellboy. I, if we're talking about Dark Horse stuff, I would say that Usagi Yojimbo has the length mm-hmm. of Hellboy, but has never really expanded outward in the same ways. Right, not the same scope. Um, and I think, you know, for... I, 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 I one time heard it described this way, it's really brilliant, as Hellboy is if Spawn was good. <laughs> Like a, a similar kind of character, you know, with, with being the you know the hell spawn, and mm-hmm. uh, but 
Mignola just makes a lot of really wise choices, and I think the wisest choice he made was bringing Arcudi on the book, because uh, Arcudi's essentially been scripting them for the you know for fifty or so issues now, if not more. Maybe even longer, actually. I don't even know what John Arcudi's first issue of BPRD was. Um, but yeah, um, if anyone out there has not read the Hellboy BPRD saga, as Zach said, it will always be there. And that makes it hard to... like. It makes it easy to forget about, right? Don't forget mm-hmm. about it. It's great. It's the best. Um, he, so he's been on since the second volume of BPRD, the second trade. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, the fourth trade, the second hardcover. My bad. But so he's he's been on since almost the very beginning of BPRD. But, oh, yeah. okay. So that's a that's a very long time, right? Because yeah, it's, they didn't... it's over 100 issues. Yeah. In 2003 is when he is when BPRD the series started. Wow. So he probably came on in 2004, 2005. So over 10 years. Um, and it's excellent. It really is. Um, what else do you guys want to say about this book? This is how you do a crossover, I think. Yeah. You know, it's a good example. It's not, it's, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily groundbreaking, but it is just very good, you know? Maybe uh, I don't know. Do either of you guys read Batman Ninja Turtles? <laughs> yeah, I did not. <laughs> How does that? I didn't read it. How does that compare to this? <laughs> it, it it wasn't great. It's the great thing about this is that in <laughs> in two issues of this, it accomplishes way more than that book did in like six issues or whatever. <laughs> you know. It's it's incredible. Well, the, the, these are two creators at the peak of their powers. Right. I mean, you know, it's just, it's almost unfair to compare other crossovers to this. Yeah. I agree. Well, I think this is, this is unique among the DC Dark Horse crossovers, and I'm, I'm going to look over the list right now to make sure I'm not contradicting myself, but I feel like this is... The rare case where it's not a licensed character crossing over with an established DC character. Like all of the other crossovers were Predator, uh, Tarzan, yeah. and Aliens, I think. Yeah, that's it. And so this is... That feels more like characters from a movie popping into the world. Whereas this is a true comic crossover. This is long before Hellboy was a cinematic character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just... To me, this does all the things you want a comics crossover to do. It, it gets you... It gets you some good action from all the three main characters. It gives you a reason to dig deep into any of their three backstories. It's funny. You know, um, when Batman walks away... And I think it's Hellboy says that guy really needs a vacation. And then Jack agrees. Like, it's just, it's perfect. It's, you know, it's, it's great. It's great comic booking. 
there's a, a reference to Bob Vila that couldn't have possibly oh, been written. I forgot by, about the Bob Vila reference. I James talk about that. <laughs> you don't think James Robinson's uh, this old house fan? I, I don't think. I, I couldn't imagine it. <laughs> Who snuck that in there? Tomasi? You think Tomasi snuck that in there? I do. I think it was a Tim Allen reference at first, and then they changed it. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't figure out how to write. <laughs> I did want to say this is one of, you know, this is early Mignola because Matt Hollingsworth colors it, not Dave Stewart. Oh, yeah. Um, and I like Hollingsworth with cover. I, I like his colors rather, but Dave Stewart is the quintessential Mignola colorist. But this book does not suffer for not having Dave Stewart. No. Um, I also love. I don't know if you guys are as much of a sucker of the Jack Ted Knight relationship as I am. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's this scene when they inject him with the. Um, essentially the antidote and Ted says son and then Jack just hugs him and says oh dad and it just feels so real to me and and so tender it, it's really sweet and I also like how Hellboy calls him Mr. Knight I, I just think that's very sweet um, is there any other I guess maybe a way to end this you have to bring it back to the DC part what are, are there other DC crossovers you can recommend to folks, it, you know, with with another publisher. I don't know. I've never read JLA Avengers. But I read I've it heard years good ago. About that, I read it years ago. I, I would. Know. I'd recommend X Men New Teen Titans. Because that was, again, at the peak of the powers of, of both the X-Men and the Wolfman Perez Teen Titans. I'm trying to think. I generally avoid intercompany crossovers. Um, I think we've actually talked about that before. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, Vince, just, for like, just for, like, various reasons. I usually mm-hmm. just, you know, it's hard to do a good intercompany crossover i think which is why i think this is even more exceptional because it is very good um vince do you have any uh crossovers to recommend no i honestly can't even think of any right now (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough well i I know i thought of one what's that um it's not even like super great but when DC and Marvel were doing like the amalgam universe uh-huh. things. There was a, a one shot, I think, of the the Dark Claw, the Batman Wolverine mashup, but it was mm-hmm. done in the style of Batman the Animated Series. Oh, that's pretty good. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I, I gotta uh, seek that out. Let's see, because there there were two issues and one. One was like that, and the other one wasn't. Do we know? Is that amalgam stuff collected anywhere? It is. Yeah, I don't know if they're still in print, but there are like two collected editions, I think. Let's see. Because that's something I would like to reread. 
The Amalgam Age of Comics paperback from $42. <laughs> Nuts to that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they did. Didn't they do an omnibus? Dark, Dark Claw Adventures was the name of the issue. Okay. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Isn't that, that's like Wolverine and Batman, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, Sounds like Dark Helmet. Written, <laughs> see, written, I see your claws are as big as mine. <laughs> written and drawn Dark, by Ty Templeton. Dark Helmet is uh, Dark Side and Juggernaut. <laughs> <laughs> something something it's dark side bitch uh, oh, man. anyway uh i know this has been a riveting conversation for everyone out there but if you want to continue the riveting conversation online do so at multiversitycomics.com where we have all sorts of coverage of dark horse as we wrap up dark horse month this coming well i guess it'll be tomorrow if you listen to this day it comes out tomorrow is the last day of dark horse month and what a month it's been We've had lots of great stuff, including the aforementioned updated Hellboy reading order. We've had interviews with creators, editorial staff. We've had spotlights on lots of different Dark Horse comics. Go check it all out. And if you want to talk to us about this stuff, if you want to get our personal favorite Amalgam characters, you can tweet at us, at Brian Needs a Nap for me. Uh, Vince, where are you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. I'm extremely tired. I couldn't tell. <laughs> couldn't tell at all. <laughs> He's got married folks. He's allowed to be tired. Uh, and Zach, where can folks find you? I'm Sir Fox 89 And we'll be back before you know it with a very special episode of the DC3Cast. So for my two pals, get on out of here, you kids. Go read some Starman. Watch Bob Vila. <laughs> Zach has to sing the Frasier theme song to take us out. Uh, nope, not doing it. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's oh, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? 